through 1976 and 1977, Detroit and its surrounding Oakland and Wayne County communities have been gripped in fear as it is now clear that there is a serial killer of children operating within their midst. Bodies are piling up and the police seem to be providing few leads and few options to the community in ways to keep them safe against this ultimate predator. I'm Eddie White. This is the Forever Children of Oakland County and we've got the swan song of the Oakland County child killer in a case that's ultimately going to break the entire thing wide open. Christine Mihalik was found tragically murdered January 21st, 1977, and the community is on edge. In Birmingham... The King family is telling all of their kids not to get in a car with strangers, not to talk with strangers, to be on guard and constantly vigilant against, you know, some sort of predator, some sort of monster within their community. Young Tim King leaves his Birmingham home. We've talked about Birmingham before. It's a very nice suburb of Detroit. He leaves his home March 16th, 1977 on his skateboard to go down to the Hunter Maple Pharmacy just down the road from him to grab some candy and do things that a young boy, you know, likes to do. Tim King never returns home despite the warnings, misgivings, and overall teachings of his parents to avoid strangers, and the community immediately fears the worst. The very next day, it sure doesn't take long to get to the news, the Lansing State Journal prints an article, Birmingham Boy Missing, and it even references the other Oakland County youngsters, as they call it. Six other Oakland County youngsters have disappeared and been found murdered since January 1976. The last was 10-year-old Christine Mihalik of Berkeley, who was last seen on the way to a neighborhood store January 2nd. Her body was found January 16th, as we know, in a ditch from Franklin, about five miles from her home. So immediately, things are evoked here, tensions are evoked in the community, and this is tied right in. We've got another kid, 10 to 12 years old, right in that age range, abducted in Oakland County. During this time, there's no bones about it, there's no qualms. A serial killer has abducted Tim King. And Tim King is assumed alive, so his parents actually go on the news to do a televised sort of plea to the killer. It's one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever had to listen to in my entire life. And let's take a listen to Barry King, the father of young Timothy King, on the news. Because the other children have been kept alive for some time, Tim's parents assume for now he too is alive. Last week they made an appeal on television. We love him very much, uh, wherever he is and whoever he is with. We want him back home. He's got a basketball game on Saturday. He missed play practice today. And uh, wherever you are, Tim, we love you. We want you back home. We know this is the swan song of the Oakland County child killer. So we know Tim King, unfortunately, is not going to be found okay. But to me, this just cuts right through to what we're talking about here. We're talking about, as I've said before, this is a community. These are people that look like you, talk like you. These are people just trying to do the very best they can. They're trying to raise their kids. They're just trying to do the very best that they know how. And that's what we've got here. We've got kids. We've got people who are innocent. We've got just 
you know, these people, I mean, they're just kids. They're, they haven't developed into a fully formed young adult yet. It's not like, you know, this killer is taking vengeance on someone who did him wrong. I mean, these are kids with their entire lives ahead of them who like playing basketball and like going to play practice. Tensions are just astronomically high in the community, and I wanted to ask my dad what it was like growing up right over the Oakland-Wayne County border in Livonia. I remember I was uh, in the safety patrol at the time and had responsibility to go out very early in the morning before the other kids arrived. And, you know, you wear a, a silver vest or a, a bright orange vest to call yourself out and you get there before anyone else arrives. So my parents were anxious about that, to be going out there alone while there was a kidnapper on the loose and um they they really stressed that you know to watch out for a blue gremlin now this is a stressful time to be sure and i hope that that gives you an insight into what it's like in the community but what's this at the end about a blue gremlin well the other cases at least as far as is reported in the media we will certainly get into some other events later that kind of slip under the radar but at this point, these kids go missing without any real witnesses, corroboration, or any sort of identification that could lead us closer to who this killer is, right? I've talked about cases, I've talked about people missing, and I've talked about how police have had to investigate, but I haven't really talked about any sort of evidence or clues or anything, because at this point in time, at least as far as the public knows, and we will certainly get into what the public does not know at this time, so stay tuned for that. But at this point in time, there are no real clues out in the public. There's nothing for community members, for people to stay on the lookout for, to watch for. And now we've got it. It's widely reported after Timothy King goes missing that he was seen near a blue AMC Gremlin. It's just a type of car, but it was a blue Gremlin car with a white hockey stripe. So something very distinctive and something that really lights the community on fire. I mean, this is the lead. When I was texting family members and, lo and looking at things years later, hey, what do you remember about the Oakland County child killer? They say, well, you know, I, I it was a sad time. I remember that. But I remember that the killer drove a blue gremlin. That's what they said, a blue gremlin. This is ingrained in the community. And I'll get into the blue gremlin. But this is ingrained into the community. It also seems at this point like there's some sort of psychological profile attached to the killer. They're trying this task force, remember that I talked a little bit about, seems to have created a sort of profile of who they think the killer is, even with, uh, at least as far as the community knows, a supposed lack of evidence. Quoting from a Detroit Free Press article from March 20th, 1977, Quote, police Friday released a psychological profile of the probable kidnapped suspect. The profile was developed by psychiatrists, psychologists, and law enforcement personnel. The profile says the kidnapper is a white male, 20 to 35 years old, well-educated, and intelligent. He has abnormal sex habits and is fanatical about cleanliness, keeping his house and car spotless. The man described by the profile does not take drugs or drink much. He is a white-collar worker who lives or works in Oakland County and has a job that gives him freedom of movement, end quote. So I'll keep going on with the quote here, but I think it's important for you, the listener, and you know us, the modern observer, to start thinking about who could have done the Oakland County child killings because you have people being held. Tim King at this point in time has been held for several days and hasn't turned up. Of course, we've got 
Christine, Jill, and Mark who were missing for many, many, many days before their discovery, right? So who could this killer be? And I think that's what this profile seeks to establish. But, you know, let's think an independently separate of the profile on our own here. This killer probably isn't someone who has a family, right? I mean, how do you keep a child hostage for days and days if you have a family or if you have a nine to five normal job? How do you keep a kid inside and hostage for that long without them escaping, causing noise to arouse the neighbors or anything like that? So then, hey, maybe you think, well, maybe they do have a nine to five, but they live out in the country. You know, I don't know. You know, start tossing those ideas around in your mind. Uh, is it possible that there's a team of killers if they do have a job? You know, someone stays home during the day. Someone stays home in the evening. You know, who who can facilitate holding a child hostage for that many days? I think that that, uh, you know, uh, excludes a significant amount of people from who could possibly be the Oakland County child killer. But anyway, back to the psychological profile. Uh, quote, uh, the man described does not take drugs or drink much. White collar worker. We've been over that. He also has the ability to hold his victim for a number of days without being detected, right? So that's kind of what I was alluding to there. He lives an outwardly quiet and normal life. The man is undergoing or perhaps seeking psychiatric treatment, the profile says, but shows no visible signs of deviance from normality. And that really goes uh, in concert with a statement here from Lieutenant Robert Robertson, the leader of the task force. When we relate to words that the youngsters uh, might not relate to those same words, what is a stranger? When I have a conversation with you for a few minutes, am I still a stranger? If I play catch with you at the ball field, am I a stranger? If I let you talk on my CB radio and we talk back and forth, am I a stranger? You know, I, I think that's our area of a problem. Right, so what he's saying here is this killer somehow earns the trust of the children. It earns the trust of whoever they're with. It doesn't seem like a stranger, even someone like Tim King, because this really raises alarm bells. Tim King, his parents actually talked to him about don't talk to strangers, don't get into strangers' cars, you know, all this kind of stuff. So is it possible that somehow this killer is earning the trust of the victims before abduction? You know, that seems like it's definitely a possibility uh, floated out by the media and the task force. It does really seem at this point that police, they're just grasping at straws. They're trying to put this thing together. Uh, in an article, March 22nd, 1977, in the Detroit Free Press, Tobin, Jerry Tobin, the chief of Birmingham police, says, quote, the individual must have approached other children along the Woodward Corridor, end quote uh, from Jerry Tobin, but continuing in the article, Timothy's abductor is believed to be responsible for the kidnapping and murders of three other South Oakland youngsters in the past 13 months. So the, the other three, right, we're referring to, um, maybe you've been able to put it together here, but we've got Mark Stebbins, the miss, missing Mark Stebbins, Jill Robinson, and Christine Mihalik because they were abducted, held for days, and also dumped within Oakland County. So that's really what we're putting together at this point, what seems to be connected cases. Jane Allen missing tragic, but that found in Ohio. Uh, Cynthia Cadju and Sheila Schrock found the same day or really close after. So it seems like while those cases were tragic, the task force at this point, uh, and what I'm in agreement with them on here, it seems, is that the serial killer has targeted Mark Stebbins, Jill Robinson, Christine Mihalik, and now Tim King. Tim King still missing here March 22nd. 
1977 because uh you know look when we're looking at this they're the only ones that were missing for days held for days proven and then found you know within a short-ish radius of their home police their efforts is much too late in a police and now joint fbi task force things have uh come too late to save timothy king March 23rd, 1977, the front page of the Times-Herald in Port Huron reads, Missing Oakland Boy Found Dead. Timothy King was found dead um, actually in Wayne County on the other side of Eight Mile Road. So it's on the border of Livonia, which is in Wayne County, where I'm from, where my dad's from, and Oakland County, where this comes into play, you know, the Oakland County child killer. So just on the other side of Eight Mile just over the border in Wayne County. So you're talking about now bringing another jurisdiction. You're talking about Livonia police are now involved and the Wayne County prosecutor, the Wayne County sheriff are now involved in the Oakland County child killer case. They have jurisdiction now because Tim King was found just on the other side of Eight Mile Road in Livonia, Michigan. And now the reason I'm stressing this so much in addition to just providing jurisdiction issues is if y'all stick with me through the rest of this podcast... The fact that Tim King was found on the south side of 8 Mile rather than the north side is the reason that this podcast exists at all. There are multiple breaks in the case, multiple massive findings, uh, courtesy of Livonia and Wayne County, not Oakland County or the Oakland County Child Killer Task Force. 8 Mile at this point is a well-traveled road because Interstate 696, if you're familiar with the area that connects Wayne County to Oakland County, really, that's a freeway. That's not done yet. That's not, hasn't completed construction. So 8 Mile is a well-traveled road, of course, uh, as lines up with other cases here. And I went back to my hometown, Livonia, Michigan, to take a look at 8 Mile and Gill Road, where Tim King's body was found all those years ago. So I'm standing here just on the east side of Gill Road on an 8 Mile on the Livonia side where Timothy King's body was discovered all those years ago. Now, I'm not sure how much of the road noise you guys can hear, but I mean, look, 8 Mile is a very busy road. It's just, it's so busy. It's highly trafficked. Uh, it'll lead you through to Detroit. It'll lead you out into the suburbs, obviously, where I am now, and it'll lead you further into the suburbs. So look, it's a heavily trafficked road, and uh, it's just weird to be standing here. I can see from where I am standing in the modern day here, the Dairy Queen that I would go to as a kid uh, with my mom usually. You know, if you wanted some Dairy Queen, that's where you had to go. It was the closest one to our house. Um, so it's just weird to stand here. There's the old Apostolic Lutheran Church directly across the street from where the body was dumped, where I'm standing now. And I believe that building was around in the 70s. It looks quite old. Um, so... It's just weird, again, to be standing here. The killers dumped Timothy King's body here all those years ago, really in plain sight of the road. So it seems odd, even though the area obviously wasn't as heavily trafficked that early in the morning, that they were able to kind of get away with it. They didn't get caught in the act because, again, it's, I mean, it's a major thoroughfare. Um, and I imagine perhaps more so in the 70s, while they were still building... 696 which is kind of the freeway that connects oakland county to wayne county uh so it's just odd as again as i stand here in the modern day it is weird there is a little bit of trees and undergrowth 
uh, here next to the Tarbawasi Creek, hopefully I pronounced that correctly, uh, there's probably about a 10-yard long or 20-yard long bridge uh, that allows drivers to pass over the creek with no problem. It's, it's, I mean, it's really an afterthought. And then there's a little field here on the Livonia side of 8 Mile, again, right where Tim King's body was found. And then some condos as you go further down. Um, and I did see some crime scene footage back in the day. It seems like maybe these condos were not here at that time. But it wasn't, again, like there was a ton of trees or undergrowth or something that was, like, really obscuring the body. I mean, this, it was, you would have, if you were driving along 8 Mile Road after the killers dumped it and there was enough light out, I mean, you would be able to spot that body. So, it wasn't like, you know, they were trying to make sure no one would find the body. I mean, this is obviously an area where you would find it. So, again, it's just weird standing here. I can see, like, a dentist's office from where I am now. Again, the old Apostolic Lutheran Church, a video rental store that's still around, I guess, uh, and a Dairy Queen and some condos. And, you know, it's a main road. I've driven by here my entire life, and you never think that something nefarious, something so evil would occur right by the side of a main road. But... That's what happened. Uh, it's weird to stand here. And, uh, yeah, this unfortunately was the site where the body of Timothy King was found. So, look, 8 Mile today is not what it was then. I mean, I looked at crime scene footage like I tell you there in the clip. But 8 Mile, man, it's kind of rural at the time. I mean, it's still a main road. You're still talking about major suburbia in one of America's biggest cities, okay? So don't think you're totally out in the country here. But what we've got here with... Uh, Tim King's body in 8 Mile and Gill Road, it is kind of like a field at the time. So uh, not a place that, that body's going to stay hidden for long. Just kind of dump that body. I mean, I don't know that uh, what was happening was really, you know, on the killer's mind. I don't know why they dumped it there. But, you know, it follows that pattern of a main road, a child body dumping. And there are things that are interesting that come out here that didn't come out in the other cases of Tim King's body in that condition, at least supposed condition. So this really leads to some of the major misconceptions of the case in Tim King's case here. A lot comes out, but a lot of it, as we'll learn later, is just flat out wrong. So Tim King's body, uh, it does come out, it does come out in the press that it was cleaned with this kind of strange medical grade soap. That's what they found, you know, on Tim King's body. So then it gets twisted and uh, it's viewed by the media, by the community, and it's really portrayed, the task force, to be quite frank, doesn't do a lot to dispel this, uh, that the killer is some kind of maniacal mastermind. They clean the bodies so well, they're laid out in these funeral-like poses, all the bodies, um, because of this medical-grade soap, the evidence is scrubbed clean. Man, that task force, they've got so much, they're up against so much. This killer is just some maniacal, so clever individual, okay? So, I mean, that's what's coming out in the media in various newspaper articles. Uh, I saw a clip from CBS News that, uh, you know, perpetuates that sort of thing because Tim King was found cleaned with this sort of strange soap that's not really like an off-the-shelf, you-buy-at-the-store sort of soap, that all the bodies were laid out in these funeral-type poses, um, and all that kind of stuff. So that, along with the blue, blue gremlin, really gets perpetuated in the community, and we'll get into uh, why those assumptions are incorrect, ultimately, but something that misleads the community and the police for an extended period of time. 
For instance, with the Blue Gremlin, I mean, we're talking about just mass community hysteria. L. Brooks Patterson, the prosecuting attorney for Oakland County, who will later become Oakland County Commissioner, he orders and issues uh, that people can pull over any Blue Gremlin for any reason by the side of the road. If you're a cop and you see a Blue Gremlin, you can pull that Blue Gremlin over by the authority of L. Brooks Patterson uh, with no cause, no, you know, if their brake lights are working, you know, they're going under the speed limit, there's no reason to pull them over. If they're driving a blue gremlin, you can pull them over. And this is an absolute astonishment to me. This is just so astonishing because that's a suspension of, you know, every American's fourth amendment rights. I mean, we're talking about mass hysteria in the community. If there's a blue gremlin, people are getting pulled over. I posted in various community Facebook groups, about this blue gremlin and someone said yeah I, re I remember i was there i drove a blue gremlin and they pulled me over time and time and time again and questioned me about you know so many things related to where tim king could be and if i was you know the killer and all that kind of stuff and in some cases the people answering me i mean uh you know now they're much older but they're you know i mean not that physically imposing women in some cases you know and are you the killer so just the community hysteria what's going on is a fever pitch, and it's certainly not helped at all because Tim King's favorite food, as said by his father on the news, you know, it's, it's widely publicized, it comes out, uh, that Tim King's favorite food is fried chicken, you know, from Kentucky Fried Chicken. I mean, geez, if you're, you know, a young boy, what, what, how could it get better, you know, I suppose. And uh, when they do the autopsy on Tim King's body, it was found that just before his murder, he had eaten... Kentucky Fried Chicken. All this obviously leads to a community panic and something that certainly doesn't lack for resources in the law enforcement community either. I'm going to get into some of the issues with the task force, some of uh, the many things that I think they could have done better, and to me, quite frankly, we're talking about potential cover-up accusations here from people. So the task force and the police agencies and, and people investigating certainly uh, maybe had deficiencies in other areas, but financially and manpower-wise, that certainly was not an issue. At this point, the community is in a full fever pitch. Uh, an old school in Oakland County has been repurposed entirely as a task force uh, headquarters, the FBI is involved, Michigan State Police is involved. Obviously, I've been over some various issues jurisdictionally wise with various counties, cities, and other municipalities. Uh, you know, at the point that this is, this is the largest investigation in United States history uh, in terms of resources that has ever been undertaken. And the hunt is on to catch the killer. The hunt certainly is on to catch a killer, but Oddly enough, there's an editorial in the Detroit Free Press, June 26, 1977, so just a couple months after Tim King goes missing. The title of the article is, In Oakland County, the horror seems past, but police still search, children are uneasy, and parents worry. Very strange to me because, you know, Mark Stebbins was abducted in February 1976, and the next victim that they're tying in here, Jill Robinson, she wasn't abducted until December of 76. So to write this when Tim King was went missing in March, and you're writing this article in June, it seems very strange to me. But this editorial does have some good information, so let's dive in. Quote, 11,523 tips have been turned into the Oakland 
County Homicide Task Force since 11-year-old Timothy King was murdered three months ago. The license numbers of 2,336 Blue Gremlins, a type of car that figures heavily in the investigation, have been logged into the police computer. So this is the 70s, and a big deal is made about the computers that the police are using. There's several articles that will come out about how they have to like order a new computer from HP, more memory, uh, that their hard drive space is running out, and all those kinds of things, which at the time, you know, reading it now is kind of strange, but at the time, I mean, very cutting-edge technology. Like I said, resources technically to these teams for what was available at the time were certainly not lacking in any way. But in any case, uh, between 50 and 100 suspects have been given and passed lie detector tests, absolving them of guilt in the case. And that's a key statement here because, as we'll get into in the future, polygraphs uh, are unreliable. You can't admit them in court. You can't use them to convict someone in the modern day. But in the 70s, polygraphs are sort of cutting-edge crime-fighting technology. We don't have DNA yet. We have none of that sort of stuff. DNA are just three unassociated letters of the alphabet. So we have none of that. Uh, so polygraphs are sort of the, the gold standard in terms of crime-fighting technology. And I think we have to talk about the people element here as well. I'm not saying that this played a role, but the Michigan State Police, the primary coordinators of the Oakland County Child Killer Task Force, were the first unit in the country, in the whole United States, to establish a sort of polygraph investigation unit. So if anyone's going to kind of fall on the sword and die for the polygraph, you know, by its efficacy, uh, you know, die defending it sort of thing, it's going to be the Michigan State Police. In this article, future uh, things that we will talk about are mentioned here, their truthfulness or not, but this is, again, what police are really letting come out to the media. The police are really the mouthpiece for the investigation. There's no real investigation by reporters of themselves. It's kind of like whatever police tell them, that's what they have to report. They don't have additional information. So we have here further in the article, quote, the man is a fanatic about his cleanliness. His victim's bodies have been meticulously clean. Police think he may be sexually aberrant, either homosexual or one who is turned on by sexual activity with or in front of young children. But the suspect is also in the best tradition of paperback murder mysteries, an unremarkable appearing individual who seems to be above reproach. Police are really keeping things close to the vest. There's even a whole section in this article about how the police know a lot more. Quote, they refuse to release autopsy reports on the four youngsters. The only thing the task force will admit now is the police know a lot more about the children's killer than they did when Christine Mihalik's body was found. Uh, some people, uh, it says here, although some task force members have developed private theories of their own about the killer, one thinks there are two people working together. Almost all agree that their killer could be almost anybody and that their problem is to recognize them when they see them. So this is the legacy that the Oakland County child killer is really leaving. I, you know, I've told you and we're, we're going to go on here. This is the last killing of the Oakland County child killer. The killings do not go on after this, but people sure think that they will. You know, there's no evidence, there's no uh, suspects, there's nothing really put out by police that says we got the guy or, you know, he's not a threat to the community. So this goes on for some time and people are still living in fear. Listen to this from Nina during her childhood. That, that summer of 77 was very memorable for a lot of reasons. We assumed that the killer was coming back in the fall. Right, yep, because without the benefit of hindsight, it's like, okay, what, he's, he's coming back, right? So. Right. So it was just, it was just sort of there. 
and then there was an incident when I was five. So this would have been probably the summer of 78. I still living with my grandparents told my grandmother that I was going to go one block over to see my friend, Paul. And I went to Paul's house and we played in his backyard and I decided I was tired. I was going to go home and I came around the corner and I could see my grandmother's house and there were two police cars at her house. So I started running because, you know, grandmas are old and I assumed in my little five-year-old head that my grandmother was injured or hurt or you know, something. Sure. And I ran and I, you know, ran in the door and I'm like, grandma. And both the cops looked at me and were like, oh, thank God. Because she didn't hear me say that I was going to a friend's house. She called po the police and said, my grandchild is missing. Oh, and they assumed gotcha. that it was another incident and it was just they were very relieved to see me i was very unhappy to see them and i got in a lot of trouble <laughs> right, sure people are still gripped in fear but luckily the task force is still investigating and they're gonna find this guy right well it turns out on a seemingly random december day in 1978 so this is about a year after things quiet down with tim king year and a half the task force with no explanation, no suspects, and no leads, shuts down. Now, if your alarm bells are ringing and saying, this is suspicious, yeah, you and me both. They claim they ran out of money, but I don't know that I buy that excuse. It seems like at the time, at least, or what we know from research today, that they really could have probably gotten more money if they wanted to. But they shut down the task force seemingly randomly, seemingly very abruptly, but as we'll learn, this date was not so random. This was perhaps shut down because police realized their own failings, and in Marnie Rich Keenan's book, uh, The Snow Killing, she said, quote, The shutdown of the task force seemed suspiciously abrupt. The community was evidently too shell-shocked to voice any concerns. In fact, let's listen to Nina on that very subject. Yeah, now... Since 1980, after the task force was disbanded, um, pardon me, but it's a real what the fuck, because I don't think anybody did anything. I think, well, the killing stopped. Uh, all right. And they just let it go. And we, as a community, I think we're so glad to be done with it that we just went, oh, okay, master killer, we're right. got away. I also talked to Jay Ruben Appleman author of The Kill Jar, which is a look into the Oakland County child killings. He also does a podcast, You Know They Know, which is about this case as well, and then was on a documentary on Hulu, Children of the Snow, which is very fantastic. I suggest you check it out. So in terms of living experts who aren't the police, I would say that Jay Rubin is on that short list, and he had some thoughts as well about what happened with this task force and this police operation. Is it ever going to be publicly said by the police or whatever? Anybody looking at this case from the outside coming in kind of can tell what's going on with this case. Will the police ever say anything officially? I don't know, man, because if they do, they're going to have to unravel all kinds of mistakes and cover-ups and lies and political favors and all of that stuff in order to explain how they now come to say, yeah, yeah, what you've known all along, public, we're going to admit to that now. He and my research also reach a crescendo when he makes this point. Uh, there are there are there were high profile suspects entered within known within the departments that the public didn't know about, 
and they let these suspects slide on what we can now say uh, were the Oakland County child killings. Now, who are these suspects? What happened in Oakland County all those years ago? And why is the task force, which was suddenly seemingly randomly disbanded, why are they so sure that the killer will never strike again? And it, to be honest, their prediction comes true. The killer never does strike again. So if the police, publicly at least, have no leads, no suspects, and no one behind bars for this crime, why is their prediction right? Just what happened in Oakland County in 1977? You'll have to join me to find out in a future episode because we don't find out about this until many years later. We don't find out anything about this until the mid-90s, early on into the 2000s. So in that wake, in the wake of the Oakland County child killings, there's a community disaffected, people change how they raise their kids, and there's just a community shell-shocked from a terrible monster that was in their community. So we're going to get to the police stuff, and believe me, there's a lot of it, and you're going to want to stick around, but we've got to go take a look at the Detroit community, the Oakland County community, and the impact that the Oakland County child killer had. It changed the way people raised their kids. It changed the way that people lived and thought of the community. And it really changed millions of lives forever. I was contacted by a couple of young women whose fathers worked these cases. You know, they were officers, they weren't detectives, they were patrolmen, and that it ha literally haunted them until they died. Oh, we're putting this blue hand in the window. Oh, why are we doing that? Because, you know, in case someone's like in trouble. It wasn't unusual for a preteen kid or, a, or an early teenager kid to, to leave on their bikes and go and, um, and not come home. And I think whether it was the Oakland County child killer in Southeast Michigan that changed, but things have definitely changed. Um, and there's no way that I would have done that with my kids. The grim inheritance that you, you asked me about, um, that's what it is, brother. There's a spiritual darkness that, that lingers um, generation after generation. The Forever Children of Oakland County is a podcast produced, written, and done entirely by me, Eddie White, out of a burning desire to see these cases solved and a love for my community. This was not free to make. And if you want to support the show, you can do so at anchor.fm slash eddie-white4 slash support. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash E-D-D-I-E dash W-H-I-T-E 4 slash support.